The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, so here's a few things we're going to find as we get into the Word, and I'll share with you as we get into it why I wanted to go this direction this morning. Uh, one of the things we're going to find is Jesus describing what your life should look like. It's not a long description. It's pretty short. But that's exactly what it is. If you're going to listen to anyone's description of what your life should look like, I think Jesus is a pretty good one to listen to. Another thing that we're going to find is how to experience salvation. How to experience salvation. Now, when we get there, we'll define salvation. We're not talking about being, you know, born again. We're talking about salvation in the form of deliverance. And it's a really wonderful thing to consider because we, we need that in our lives, active at all times throughout your, your Christian walk. Uh, you need to see breakthrough. You need to see victory. You need to see salvation. And then another thing we're going to find <clears throat> is what Jesus is for us, what he is for you and for me. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 47 and look through uh, 49. So Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. I told you before we were going to find Jesus describing what your life should look like. You find that here. Uh, We're going to look at verse 46 through 49. So Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Verse 46 is one that has, has always been interpreted differently by me in my life until recently. Now when I read it, I read it a little bit different. Let me just read it to you and I'll describe what I mean. Verse 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and then you don't do what I say? Now, I, 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 it stings a little bit, doesn't it? I would read that and I would always see it as a, a rebuke. I mean, almost a, a statement that's made with frustration Maybe it's got a little zing on it, you know. But the, the reason why I would interpret it that's what, that way is because that's how I would say it. I would say it through a, a pride or an insecurity that would weaponize this. And what is really happening here, you've got Jesus who's void of pride and insecurity. I mean, he's not operating in, in any malicious way at all saying these words. So you have to have the heart of Jesus Christ active and present in your mind, rightly interpret what he's saying and how he's saying it. It's one of the reasons why I think an in-person conversation or, or maybe a phone call is way better than text, right? Because it doesn't have any emotion attached to it. It doesn't have uh, any body language attached to it. So sometimes when we read what Jesus says, and that's all we're limited to, the translation can get a little fuzzy because we don't see his heart. So when you get in your mind, when you get in your head, the heart of Jesus Christ, as you read that, it begins to be different. It's not some insecure or prideful statement saying, hey, You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. What he's saying here is, why would you call me Lord and then not do what I say? Why would you do that? Because he goes on to give the benefits of what doing what he says are. It's a compassionate question. Why would you possibly want to go down that path? Why would you do this and, and, and injure yourself in the process and those around you? And you catch the context as you continue to read. Why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say? Now he begins to describe what our lives should look like. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. 
He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, a great torrent burst against the house, but it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard the words and not acted like them, or acted on them, excuse me, he's like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. The torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. So here's what you have here. You have these two different people being described. One of them experiences great success. The other experiences great ruin. Jesus is identifying these two different situations and he's identifying what caused success for one and what caused ruin for the other. And as he's doing this, he's describing what our lives are meant to look like. This call on my life to hear his words and act on them positions me to be able to be successful no matter what I face. I love this passage because it includes hardship for everybody. It doesn't say that the one that hears my words and acts on them, the storm doesn't hit his house, but it hits his heathen neighbor hard, right? It's not about us versus them, but all parties experience the same hardship, the same difficulty. Life is hard. It's tough. There are things that happen. There are things that go wrong. There are trials and difficulties. There are challenges everywhere you look. And the promise that people would make with Christianity removing all of your problems is really a, a lie. That's not true. In fact, Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to have its own trouble. That means just focus on today. I mean, I'll, I'll say this on occasion because I've heard it said before, but I'll be dealing with things, whether it's with family or business, and I'll, I'll make the statement, well, let's put out the fire closest to our feet. Meaning, like, let's deal with what is about to be a big challenge here, and we'll, we'll deal with everything else as we get to it. So the idea that both parties here, the one that hears and acts and the one that, that hears and does not act, both experience the same difficulty is a bit of a relief to me because I don't measure my life's success in Christianity based on the amount of trouble that I face or deal with. If I did that, I would think that something was wrong. I would think that God doesn't love me because surely if God loved me, I wouldn't have this challenge, right? But this passage of scripture relieves us of that burden, which is a tremendous relief to think that difficulty or hardship or challenge doesn't identify whether or not we're saved, but rather it, it's present for all parties, no matter what. Now, how we respond to those things, and that's a very important word, respond, is going to be altogether different when we do what Jesus says. The one that has heard my words and acts on them, that one is like one who has built his house upon a firm foundation. It says dug deep. I think that's a really interesting thing to, to have it described, that there's an effort that has to be made. Now, I am no stranger to the working end of a shovel. I mean, I've dug a lot of holes in my life. It's been a part of, you know, agriculture and a part of landscaping, things that I've had my, my hands involved in uh, for decades. And, and so when you get used to digging in those things, it, it kind of becomes either your thing or it's not your thing. But no matter what, it's work. The idea that I could have a firm foundation in my life is not something that's just going to happen on its own. But this concept of this man being committed to digging deep means that there was an effort that was made. And then what's really amazing about digging is it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. The closer you get to that foundation, the closer you get to that firm rock, the more you have to push that blade into the ground. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. And this isn't a message about working a shovel, but I can just tell you the idea that Jesus is saying this is going to take some work is really interesting to me. 
There's a need to labor to see this foundation laid in our life. And this is the kind of thing that we can take into our prayer life. It's the kind of thing that you can ask God, God, what do I need to do to dig deep? I want to dig deep. I want to have a firm foundation. I know that trouble comes, that challenges come. I know those things come, and I want to stand firm. I don't want to be shaken. I don't want to be moved. I don't want to collapse. I want to succeed. And you've called me to success. So teach me, show me, tell me how to dig deep. These are great things to add to your prayer life. I love the idea that the storm that comes, that, that hits this house, that's built on this foundation, uh, is described as one that is, is violent. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing that is aggressive. It's the kind of thing that is, is out of nowhere. You don't see it coming. It's, it's shocking. And the, the reason why one house would fall and the other house would stand, obviously, is revealed by the foundation. But the description of the house that stands is one that could not be shaken by the storm. I want that to describe my life. When challenges rise, when there are frustrations, when there are difficulties, uh, when there are things that are shocking, that are unforeseen, I want to be able to, to say, I will not be moved. I won't be shaken. And now this is, by definition, like provocation. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens. I'll use that word again here in a moment because we'll break it down. But that's one of the things that we all face and we all deal with. It's one of the things that, that we have to expect in our life. It's going to come. The question is, can we endure it? Can we stand it? Do we have that deeply dug foundation? And if not, how can we get that so that we can stand when they come in the future? But when you think about what's happening here, you're, you've got these two structures. They both get hit by the same violence. One makes it and one doesn't. That violence is coming in trying to move that house. Every time the wind blows, you'll watch this structure sway. If you've ever been in here on a windy day, you'll see the lights kind of tremble and move and all of that because the wind is trying to knock this house down. It's trying to move it. That's what that outside influence and that outside pressure is attempting to do. It's saying, you're in my way and I'm going to move you. By definition, this is provocation. And we all deal with provocation. I told you before I was going to tell you some things that, that maybe influenced the message. I had a little bit of provocation this past week, things that took place that were frustrating. Now, provocation is the kind of thing that if you don't understand it, everybody knows it, but if we don't stop and talk about it, it's hard to deal with because it's something that is annoying, it's something that is frustrating, it's something that introduces challenge and difficulty. But the more we understand provocation and what's actually going on, the better equipped we'll be to deal with it in a healthy and appropriate way. So the idea of provocation is, is, is starts with the actual word structure. I mean, it's broken into two parts, but here's the word etymology is the right word. I mean, it's where the word comes from. Pro is, is forward or forth. And then you have the last part of the word, which is to call. Basically, provocation is to call something out. Now, we've all experienced that, where you are, are moving along and things are going as planned, and then all, the something, all of a sudden, excuse me, something happens, or someone says something, and the plan's changed. It's been called out, you know. Now, how we handle that calling out is the difference between success and failure. By definition, when you look up the word provoke, here's really what it means. Like, this is just the dictionary here. To stir up purposefully. It's intentional. There's a desire to bring about destruction. Uh, I've, I've asked the question many times to, to people individually, 
Are you aware that you have enemies in your life that are attempting to destroy your life? And it's a really wonderful thing to come to the revelation that that's actually going on because you, you realize that things aren't just happening by chance, but it is on purpose. Provocation is intentional. And then here's the second definition. To cause a person to become angry, violent, etc. That calling forward or that attempt to call something out, that attempt to move something that is in place and is meant to stay in place is something that we all have to deal with. And the way we deal with that is going to require something that only Jesus can bring. When he expressed the difference between the two people, the one that had success and the one that had ruin, it was that firmly uh, 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 rooted foundation, that deeply dug foundation. And for us, we can see in the scripture that this is what Jesus brings into our life. One was saved and one had ruin. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to experience salvation, how to get salvation in our lives, how to see salvation active in the things that we deal with and the things that we face. And I want to give you that passage of Scripture here. It comes from Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, I want to read verses 4 through 6. Now in Luke chapter 3, you see a ministry being released, a ministry of of forgiveness of sins, and it's this wonderful thing that people were drawn to because we all need that, right? And so because it's such a desperate need for everyone, everyone was drawn to this message of forgiveness. And, and the question was asked, what is this? And this was the answer that was given. And it's pulled from the, the prophecies from the Old Testament, and it testifies of what's going on when we experience Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it, it, it starts with this, make ready the way of the Lord. That's Jesus. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled up, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. Then the crooked will become straight, and that which is rough will be smooth, and all will see the salvation of God. This starts with mountains being laid low and hills being filled up. I mean, it, it's poetic and it's, it's beautiful, but if it's not understood, then it's just gibberish and nonsense. And I'll take this passage of scripture and ask God, will you teach me what that means? I want to know what that means because I want to see your salvation. Salvation by definition is as follows. Here's how it's defined. Preservation, deliverance, freedom from harm, ruin, or loss. I need that. I want to be delivered from harm, and I want to be delivered from ruin. I want to be delivered from loss. I, I want that in my life. And so if that passage of Scripture includes that promise, then I want to understand what leads up to it. I want to know what it means to have my mountains brought low and my hills filled up in order to see the salvation of God, in order to see preservation in times of trouble, in order to see deliverance from things that are destructive, in order to be saved from harm and ruin and loss. One house stood, one house was ruined. One house saw the salvation of God, and one house collapsed and was destroyed. When I read this passage of scripture, I have to ask myself, what does that mean? When Jesus comes into my life, what would it mean for my mountains to be laid low and those valleys to be filled up? Well, when I think about this, I actually picture it. I mean, you've got a mountain, which is something that rises above uh, the, the horizon, and then you have a valley, which is something that dips below the horizon. You have the mountain being brought down. You have the valley being filled up. What you have is something that is simply straight. I grew up 
in a community in the Texas Panhandle, Amarillo, Texas, and then went and farmed in Dalhart for a season. And let me tell you something. There's no mountains. There's no valleys. It's just straight, right? If you've ever been through there, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy for me to visualize this. When I think about this, what I realize is happening here is Jesus entering into my life begins to eliminate all of the inconsistencies. It's not about topography. It's not about sea level. It's not about those things. It's about getting things that are, are, are out of place into place so that things can be stable and consistent. When I think about the mountains in my life, I think about the things that, that are, are in my, my, they get in the way, they're, they're, they're huge, they're, they're, they're intimidating. When I think about the valleys in my life, those places of, of difficulty or challenge, those places where there might be anxiety or depression, and I consider that Jesus is present to minister to both of those. I describe my mountains as pride and arrogance. I describe my valleys as insecurity. And when I consider that Jesus has been called into my life to bring all of my mountains low, to take care of all of my pride, and to bring all of my valleys up to take care of all of my insecurities so that I can be a stable and a consistent person, I praise God for that because it's the pride and the insecurity that causes me to, to compromise, that causes me to fail, that causes me to be provoked, to be called out, to be moved. It causes me to collapse and experience great ruin. It's an interesting thing that the ministry of Jesus Christ would be described like that, that the one has come, the Messiah has come, and you could think of so many things that could be said that would be accurate and be right, to reveal the love of God or to forgive the sins of man. All those things would be wonderful, and, and no one could argue that those are truths. But make ready the way of the Lord. Every mountain will be brought down, and every valley will be filled up. It's about to get real steady. It's about to get real consistent. No more roller coaster. He's going to deal with your pride. He's going to deal with your insecurity. Those things will be called to the light and they'll be addressed for the purpose of healing, not for the purpose of shame, for the purpose of deliverance and freedom. Then you will see the salvation. Remember the definition of salvation. Preservation. Deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Sign me up for that. If I can see that salvation by surrendering all of my pride and allowing Jesus to touch all of my insecurities, I receive it so that I can be delivered in those times of trouble and hardship, difficulty. So I look in my life for these things. I mean, I want to look for pride. I want to look for insecurity. I want to see areas that need to be addressed. I mean, I want those mountains brought down and I want those valleys filled up. So there's a few indicators that you can look for, and these aren't absolute necessarily. They just kind of stood out to me, so they are included in the message. And they make sense. I mean, where I begin to see insecurity in my life, where I begin to see the signs of insecurity in my life, line up with where the Scripture says they're revealed. And it gives us the tools that we need to examine our hearts, to examine our minds for the purpose of seeing mountains brought down and valleys filled up, to see consistency. I can identify insecurity in my life when I begin to evaluate my words. I'm not telling you that insecurity is only revealed through language, but let me give you a couple of passages of scripture from the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 27. An insecure man digs up evil. His words are like a scorching fire. 
You know, I've never torn someone down verbally because I was so strong or so secure that that was the right thing to do. I've torn people down verbally because I was so weak and so fearful that I wanted to bring them to a lower point than me so that I wouldn't feel so tiny. Proverbs 6.12, an insecure person is described as a wicked man is the one who talks with a perverse mouth. I listen to myself on occasion, and there's been some times, and I've expressed this in messages in the past, especially recently, where I've not been thrilled with what I heard. Things were said, and maybe said with a tone or an edge, or maybe with a language that I wouldn't normally not use. And that is not something that you just got to let slide and say, well, you know, it happens. But you got to see that as a sign, almost as if where there's smoke, there's fire. So you listen to those words, and when you hear that scorching fire or that perverse mouth, it's a sign of insecurity. It's one of the valleys that needs to be filled up. When we hear that and see it, we need to be smart and ask ourselves, what's going on here? What is this valley that needs to be touched by Jesus and filled up so that that insecurity doesn't lead me to be provoked and moved and failed? I want to know salvation, not ruin. And then I begin to look in my life for for pride. I mean, because those mountains have got to come down, right? I mean, they've got to come down. They, they're, they're destructive, they're, they're harmful, and they're going to lead to ruin if they don't come down. So I begin to ex- examine myself and, and ask myself to, to, you know, think about what I've done, think about the Scripture and what it reveals, pride is, is, is revealed through, and I begin to see things that I don't like. But here's a couple of indicators for pride, and I mean, these aren't absolute again. They're not, they're not the only ones, but they're ones that stood out, and I want to share them. Uh, they come from the Proverbs as well. Proverbs 28, 25. A prideful man stirs up strife. I've had to ask myself, did I stir up problems? Rather than, you know, bring a solution or maybe even, God forbid, you just leave it alone, right? Did I go in there and make it worse? Was there something in me that went in there and rather than bring healing, rather than bring life, rather than bring security and stability, I went in there and wrecked it. And if I find that I'm doing that, it's the mountains, it's the pride. Here's another passage of scripture as it concerns uh, pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride will always go before destruction. That means the result of pride is going to be ruin. These are the things that Jesus is getting out of our life. Praise God that we would have a Savior who would remove from us the things that will always bring destruction. I want to surrender to that headship. I want to surrender to those words. I want to be like that man who heard the words, acted on them, dug deep to lay a firm foundation, and lived a life free from the the inconsistencies. When the storms come, I want to stand. It's going to require having my mountains brought down, my valleys filled up, and letting Jesus be the stable platform that I'm standing on. There's a couple of things that I think are worth noting here, and these are things that we've mentioned before with with other messages, and I think that it's important to bring it into this message for the purpose of making something more applicable. It's not just something that we hear or something that we listen to, but it's something that we receive and it's something we can apply. Big difference between one that stood and one that fell was preparation which is ahead of time, right? It's not in real time. 
They don't see the storm coming and go out and start digging a foundation. It's a little late. When I consider the provocations that are in this world to try to get us to, to move, to stir up on purpose and try to cause uh, this, this anger and violence to rise up in us so that we behave in a way that we're not called to behave. We've been called to be light in this world, not darkness. When I begin to see those things, I realize that there's a couple of things that need to be understood. That every time those storms come in, every time that provocation comes in, every time that there's an effort to cause us to move out from where we are to where we're not supposed to be, that provocation is banking on a reaction instead of a response. Reaction basically meaning a reciprocation. In fact, that's by the definition what it means. It means to act back or to play back. It's like holding a mirror up in front. Somebody cussing at you, so you cuss at them. Somebody throwing a punch at you, you throw a punch at them. Somebody kick you in the shin, you kick them in the shin. React. By definition, here's what react means. To exert a reciprocal or counteracting force or influence. And that uses some words that we don't use every day, right? But the idea of reciprocating something means just playing it back. Then here's this other definition. This is the second definition. When we react, this is what's going on. To have a change in behavior when something happens. Man, things can be great. I can just be celebrating life and everything good, and then all of a sudden something happens and my behavior changes. That means that my behavior is contingent upon my circumstances, which is not a good thing because circumstances change. Difficulty and trial happens. Like it, it's just something that we'll all deal with and face. It's the reason why there has to be a foundation that's always consistent in our lives so that we're not led by circumstances. <laughs> there are a few things that I remember hearing years back. Ashley said this to me one time, and I was dealing with some challenges and problems and Things were not going very well. They were not going the way that I wanted them to. And I was beginning to react to those things. I was beginning to let my behavior be changed by those things. And I remember a statement being made. The statement was, you don't live in a bubble. You're not protected from things going wrong. Things are going to go wrong. You've got to have something deeper in your life, something stronger in your life, something consistent in your life, or else you'll always be pushed around by your circumstances. Something will happen, and you'll twist off. There's always going to be something happening. Get stable. Get consistent. And my God, if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. So when we're reacting, our behavior is being changed by outside influences, and that leads to destruction. It leads to inconsistency. It leads to compromise. But then you see response. To respond to something is altogether different, and by definition, here's how it, it, it's uh, laid out. To have a particular or a planned answer to something. And then there's another definition, a second one. It's a weird word. I didn't even know this was a word. To be answerable. To be answerable. But think about that. All that means is to be able to answer. By definition, living a life of response versus reaction is about having a plan. What's my plan? 
for you and for I, our plan is Jesus. It's godliness. It's the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. We have laid out before us instruction and, and empowerment to function and behave in a way that transcends the world's provocations and the world's uh, temptations and the world's nonsense. And that's really where we'll close. I want to give you a, a, our final uh, scripture here. When I said before we were going to find three things, one of those things is what Jesus is for us. Remember, one house stood, one house fell, one dug deep and had a foundation, the other did not. The same storm hit both places and one stood while the other was ruined. Here's what Jesus is for us. It comes from 1 Corinthians 3.11. The passage reads like this, No man can lay any foundation other than the one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. That passage of scripture reads wonderfully. I mean, you could read it and take it at face value, and it's just this great uh, statement that there's been a foundation laid, and it's Jesus, that we can be built on him. But that can also inspire us in our prayer life. God, I want that. I don't just want to know that, but I want that to be real in my life. I want the foundation that you have, have made available to me to be the foundation that I build my life on. I don't want to build my life on, on things that are inconsistent and, and are movable and can be subject to circumstance or situation. I want that which is stable and consistent. I want my mountains brought down. I want my valleys filled up. I want something that can endure all of the troubles that life's, life, life brings. And I want to be left standing when the storm's over. I want to know salvation, that preservation, that deliverance from harm and ruin and loss. I want to be delivered from those things. I want to have a foundation in my life. And without it, without it, I'm destined to fail. That's a humbling thing to say. But that's really the point of ministry. I'm going to ask you to stand with me because I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray for us, and I want to trust that God's going to do something. I mean, when we're few in number like this and it's quiet, it can feel solemn, but this is a really encouraging thing to consider. I think everyone in the room is aware of the gospel and has probably responded favorably. I would say that this is a room filled with Christians. So I'm not wanting to introduce this as some new thing, but maybe a newfound passion for valuing something that should be valued at a higher level in our lives. I want to examine myself to see if my circumstances are pushing me around, to see if the stress and the strain of life is causing me to change in my behavior, or am I staying steady in the face of that storm? And if I start to see change, if I start to see inconsistency, then I need to dig deep. And I need to make sure that my foundation is Jesus. I need to surrender the mountains and the valleys to let him bring down all the pride and fill up all the insecurity. or else I'm going to fall. I'm going to collapse. And I'm called to stand. You're called to stand. So the prayer is just that this would 
would soak into our hearts and minds, that we would be willing to examine ourselves and that we would surrender to that examination and respond favorably, that there would be a hunger and an appetite inside of us that would, would not be ignored, that we desire to see Jesus as our foundation and we're willing to dig. Hand me a shovel. It's time to dig. That's the prayer. So you're welcome to be in an attitude of receiving or, or agreement, however you choose, but I want to pray for us and I want to trust that God does this work and that it's favorable, tangible, real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that call to be consistent. That you would send Jesus to bring down all of our pride and to fill up all of our insecurity. Let our hearts be made straight, that we wouldn't be led by circumstance, but that we would have a firm foundation. Let that firm foundation be Jesus. Give us the heart to dig. Let us go deep into the things of your kingdom, the things of your word, that we wouldn't be satisfied with scratching the surface, but that we would build on a foundation that would lead us to victory in the face of every provocation every storm that we would face, every challenge. Give us the, the heart to examine ourselves. Let us listen to our own words and evaluate our own actions. And everywhere we see pride, let it be surrendered to Jesus. Everywhere we see insecurity, let it be healed by Jesus. Let Jesus bring down those high places and fill up those low places. Let stability and consistency be the result. And let us be a people who would stand on a firm foundation in the face of all of life's troubles. That we would not react to provocation, but that we would respond. That we would have a set plan and let that plan be Jesus. And as we live out our lives firmly rooted in Christ, let our lives bring you honor and glory. That in the face of trial, in the face of hardship, in the face of difficulty, we stand for your glory. For your namesake and the expansion of your kingdom. We receive that call upon our lives to be unified as one and to stand in the face of life's adversity. And we thank you that you would equip us with the foundation of Jesus Christ, that this would be a, a, a possibility for us, that we could be left standing in the end. We bless your name and we thank you. Let our hearts be open to the work of your spirit. Let those mountains be brought down. Let that valley be filled up and let the result be stability, the stability that leads to victory, salvation, that deliverance from ruin. We bless your name and we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declare, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.